0: Message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You open your Bibles to Psalm 23. It's been voted and recognized by, uh, if you go on the Internet and say most familiar or most famous of all Bible passages, Psalm 23. You know, I don't know where how many people they poll, but Psalm 23 is almost always going to be number one, if not number two. John 3.16 is right up there and that familiarity. But Psalm 23 is one of those that... How many of you are just old enough, this is such a, a portrayal of, of age here, that in school you actually learn Psalm 23? And, it, you know, it, in, in public school years ago it really was, you know before uh, they they took, you know, all of that out of school, in public school, you learned Psalm 23, not just in literature class as a beautiful poem or something that was poetic, but you you actually learned it. And it was one of those things that, uh, you know, so, you know, for a kid who had no Bible background, here they were getting this intimacy of this beautiful poetic literature and yet maybe not even beginning to understand the power behind it. And so the next several weeks, we're going to kind of take our time to go through Psalm 23. It is, again, one of those that is probably one of the most familiar, but but I think it really does capture the whole heart of uh, the Psalms and what the Psalms were intended to do. And uh, let me read through that again, uh, just so that we can get that in our heart and mind. And let me read through the whole Psalm, and then we'll jump into verse 1 this morning. It's a Psalm of David, this is the same David, David Goliath, King David, this is that David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's something about this text, and I'm not saying that it's more (laughs) uh, holy than any other text. all of God's word from Genesis to Revelation has the same blessing and the, the use of God. And yet there are some texts, let's just admit, that strike at the heart. I've done over 500 funerals in, in, in the last 36 years. And I cannot remember a single funeral in all those 500 that I did not read this. And it's amazing, guys, that here at the most crisis point of somebody's life, they've <coughs> lost a loved one, and they are heartbroken, they are troubled, they are heavy hearted in this loss of their life. And yet you begin to read that, and you can see, you can physically watch a calm, at least for that moment, come over somebody. It's an amazing thing as a pastor to see. You know, you would think all the Word of God would do that, and and certainly there's power in all the Word of God. We don't want to minimize some of the Word of God and maximize something else, but there's something special about this text. Would you agree? Well, upon that, I'm going to actually, especially since we have a smaller, intimate crowd... What comes to your mind when you think of Psalm 23? And, and that's not, I mean, that's a, a, I'm asking you, and, and you have opportunity to respond very quickly in a, a little snippet or a sentence or two or a sentence or three. What comes to your mind? What does Psalm 23 mean to you? Anyone? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. What a great application of that. Someone else. Just, you know, yes, Ms. Lane. Strength. Strength. And just that hope that comes with that. Because yeah. it's not just a song about, man, victory, 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 victory. This is what we're going to see in the weeks to come. There are some hard places. This, there is a valley of the shadow of death. And yet we see that even in that crisis moment that God gives us a security and a hope and, and something that's bigger than ourselves. Somebody else? A story, a thought, a sentence or two? Yeah, yeah. That, you know, just we, we see that because it does really bring a calmness to the soul at that point. Anyone else? Complete trust. And I, and I did not pay him to say that, but that is a great segue into verse 1. What does it really mean that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Mr. Joe, I don't want to refrain from getting your vantage point. No, please. He takes care of us given the complexity of our individual lives. Yeah. And our lives seem to be complex. But our yeah. And it comes down to that personal level. See, it's one of the most poetic of all the writings in the Bible, but it's also one of the most personal that in these verses, there are 16 references. The writer David has 16 references to himself, not in a, uh, oh, look at me kind of way, but he's saying, okay, this is my shepherd. And you'll see the word my and I 16 different times. But he also has 12 references to God. It's this interaction in this Hebrew writing style where it's not called pivotal, but I always think of basketball. You know, one of the first things you have to learn in basketball is if you get over here, that you can't have a pivot foot, you know, and that you can kind of go here. And as long as you keep one foot down and solid, you know, you can move around a little bit. And what we see is a pivoting here of David talking about his reliance on God and then the strength of God. And so he keeps on coming back. You are my shepherd, I shall not want. And it goes back and forth, back and forth. It pivots back and forth the whole uh, entire psalm, and we see this relationship going on, and we see that again in the very first verse, a psalm of David, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he brings God into full focus there and then his reliance upon them. And when we begin to see that, we begin to see that psalm twenty three is full of this kind of literary style or this kind of uh, writing, a declaration and then a response. Now, again, in the New, Text, New Testament, we call that exhortation, where it says, okay, uh, Paul would write about something, and then he would say, because of this, or in light of this, or, be, you know, he would use therefore. We see that word therefore a lot in the New Testament. And what he's doing is he says, okay, here's the declaration of truth, and here's a proper response to this. So David starts off, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Many of you will know if you were raised in the church or you have some familiarity of biblical history, David was a shepherd, remember? That was his job. And so he was he was familiar with what it was like to uh, watch after sheep and uh, to, to be their protector and their provider and their physician. We're going to see that that's kind of the roles of, of a shepherd today. And he was familiar with that. So he's writing about familiar territory. He's not writing out of theory. He's writing out of real practice of many, many years where he was the shepherd over sheep. And he takes that relationship and he says, okay, Lord, you are my shepherd. But that's, that's the declaration. What's the response? What's the response? Just a little bit. I shall not walk. Now, that's where we're going to focus today a little bit, okay? Because it's an amazing thing. We, we, we were born wanters, okay? Guess what, guys? We will die wanters to a certain degree. You know, there's, there's a part of us that is still going to have that human nature until we are fully glorified. That sanctification process continues on, and we can want less and less and less and less. But we, because we still travel on terra firma right here on earth, there's a part of us that, that sin nature that came and, uh, you know, from the very beginning. You know, your, your, your children, your sweet children, I, I want to be fed, I want to be held, I want to be changed and it was not in their in their first breath they they were born wanters and even if you have been walking with the lord for a while how many of you have totally had success and victory over want yeah. so so could we conclude that we were born wanters and that for the most part even though sanctification is taking place and but until glorification we will probably die walters, hopefully to a very lesser degree, very, very lesser degree. And that's what this first verse is about. This is really where David is trying to, 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 to make a, a, a response to the de- declaration. The Lord is my shepherd. He's not just saying, you know, the Lord's kind of like a shepherd, and I'm kind of like a sheep. He's really, no, he's he's going back to the familiarity of what he did. And he says, no, Lord, I'm making this declaration. You are the ultimate shepherd. And when I get that right, when I'm in that right mode of thinking, when I receive that well, it's amazing how I don't find want in my life. Now, have you experienced that? That when you see that well, how want goes down? But when you don't see that well, how want increases. Have you personally experienced that? You know, that when when God really, when we see the sufficiency of Christ, it's amazing for that five seconds, (laughs) or for that five minutes, or maybe even for that five days, or five weeks, or five months, that we really see the sufficiency of Christ. God in our lives and the sufficiency of all that Christ has done, if we take it into the New Testament, at that point, you know, we see with such clarity. Have you ever had those spiritual moments? And sometimes it it is at a funeral that we see with such clarity. Oh, my goodness, look at the goodness and the grace of God. Man, I don't know or maybe it's the passing of of, of a friend, or maybe it's something else, sometimes catastrophe, and we see with crystal clear clarity for about five seconds, five minutes, maybe even for five hours. We see things in a priority that we don't have on a normal, everyday basis. That's his hope, and really that's his claim. Declaration and then a response. How serious, question for you, a lot of questions today. How serious do you think God takes his role as a shepherd? If you put it on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you give it, Tracy? Exactly, exactly. And again, I didn't pay her to say that, but that would have been my response. On a scale of 1 to 10, a 20. As this isn't a hope that, you know, God, I, I hope that you're my shepherd. Now, again, the personal part of it, we can, in the personalization of it, but God longs to shepherd his people. And he takes it seriously. Now, what does a shepherd do? There's a lot of various things, but let's break it down to the three different things that a shepherd really does he's a protector, he is a provider, and he is a physician. Those are the three basic things. You could probably add a myriad of other little things that a the shepherd do, But if a shepherd does these three things, those are the three main things that really a shepherd is supposed to You're protecting them from themselves sometimes. You're protecting them from the, the evils that are out there, wolves and different things and other kinds of, you know, predators that want to come in and have them for dinner. You're a provider. Did you know that sheep left to themselves would graze in a field to the point where they would destroy the field and it would not be able to come back. The grass, they would eat it down to the roots to the point where it would destroy it and would not come back. And so a good shepherd has to be that provider of not saying, okay, guys, here we're in this you know, two-acre field here. Y'all just have it and we're good from now on. No, he needs to know, okay, they've eaten enough and the journey to the next place is here, and so it's time to move. I don't know about you, but that's probably where I am the most sheep-like. You put me in a good green pasture feeding pretty good, and I don't want to be moved. Have you ever been there? You get satisfied in life? You get comfortable in life? And then the shepherd says, okay, we're moving. No, wait, there's still a lot of green grass here. And he says, no, because if you keep on eating, you're going to gnaw it down to the roots and it's not going to replenish itself. No, you have enough for the next journey. See, this is what a good shepherd does. The very time you're going, no, I am not moving. He says, man, I'm taking you out of this, the comfort there. Because, because you're, gonna, you're about to gnaw down to the roots. Well, how long is that next journey? Just trust the shepherd. And so he takes you out of a green pasture where there's still green grass. And you go on to the barren, you know, you familiar with the topography of of the Middle East? You got some green grass, but you got a whole bunch of desert. So, okay, sheep. Think about this. You're a sheep and you're grazing in green grass and the tummy is full and the grass is, you know, got a little bit of dew on it and it's kind of cool and it's comfortable. And everybody else is having a good time because they're eating too. And all of a sudden the shepherd says, we're moving. Okay, he's a good shepherd. I can trust him. And so you begin the journey in the first day. There is nothing but desert. Second day, nothing but desert. And in the back of your little sheep mind, you're going, the shepherd is wrong because he moved us from a place of good to a place of unknown. But here's the role of the shepherd. In providing, he says, okay, you've eaten enough. you got three days' worth of travel in your belly. And I know that the next green pasture is three days away. On day one, I'm okay. Day two, I'm questioning. The first part of three days, I'm complaining. Because it looks like the shepherd doesn't know what he's doing. And the very time that there's going to be rebellion, there's going to be this this point of frustration. Why did you leave the good green grass? Why have you brought us to a place of barrenness over the very next hill? Over the very next hill. This is the next green pasture. You didn't know that because you're a sheep. But the shepherd knew that. Because not only does he know the land, but he knows his sheep. That's a hard thing to live out in reality, isn't it? When we want to firmly plant into the land of comfort and we go, there is no good reason to leave a very good pasture with green grass and there's still two inches on each one of these blades and the shepherd says, come, we're going on to the next pasture. Has God ever done that to you before? When he did that, was the immediate response of your heart? I shall not want. I don't see a lot of yeses, but I see a whole bunch of noes. <laughs> Thank you, because now I don't feel quite so bad about myself. You know, <laughs> isn't that amazing? You know, see the declaration that he's making here, guys. See the declaration that he's making. He's saying, "Okay, because I declare this truth." And I know that God takes seriously that he is a good shepherd and that the Lord is my shepherd. Because he takes it seriously, I then can say, I have no want. And I'm not saying that David mastered that and that he didn't have moments where he had great, great frustration and that he didn't look out into the barren wasteness of what looked and said, you know, I really had it better back there in that last pasture. Why did you ever leave us? I'm not saying that he didn't have the human moments that you and I have. But in this very first verse, what he's trying to say, he's trying to match up God's ability and his seriousness in the role that he plays with the effect that it should have on our lives. He is my shepherd, I shall not want. E- even when I get weak, I mean the whole psalmist that like, way. he restores my soul. Did David need to know about soul restoration? this is David and Goliath. You know, he saw God as a protector. He goes up against this giant of a man, and he saw God as protector. He saw God as provider. But he also saw God as physician, both um, uh, I would include in their physical, but certainly spiritual. Because remember the time that he is king now, and he gazes off, and there's this beautiful woman And he goes outside the will of God, and he makes choices that bring destruction to his life. David knew what it was like to have a physician for the soul. So when he writes, I don't know if this, we think that David wrote this when he was already King David, but we don't know if this came before or after Bathsheba. There's different opinions on that. If it does come after the whole incident with Bathsheba, it does take on that complexity at that point when he says, and you restore my soul. And maybe that's where you are this morning, okay, God. I, man, I, man, I brought some destruction to my own life. You didn't force me; it wasn't forced upon me. I just made a wrong choice. Uh, you know, I had wants, and I pursued the want, and it brought destruction, and it brought a broke, broken relationship between you and I. And yet, I come to you. Will you please restore my soul? I promise you, there's there's nothing sweeter than. You know my, my little girls when when they were little and and, and we were um, we would discipline them and part of that discipline is a temporary break break in relationship. You know the sin separates and trying and I wasn't I'm not saying that we tried to be all theological about it but we tried to keep it very gospel oriented. And and when a child misbehaves, proper discipline is that there is a break in relationship, whether that's for five seconds, for five minutes, or maybe even an hour. But there is really that break, and not in anger against them, but that sin broke that relationship. But perhaps some of my finest memories of a dad is when you sit down in that chair and say, Hey, Ashley, come here. Hey, Bethany, come here. Climb up in Daddy's lap. And it was hard, wasn't it, when, when you made this choice and we weren't really friend, friends at that time and, and that really wasn't a good thing, but, you know, I love you and there's nothing I wouldn't do for you and I'll never stop loving you. And you restore that relationship and it's physical and you're hugging and you're doing that and you see the brokenness of the spirit of that three-year-old, that five-year-old or that 21-year-old and you see it you know, all of a sudden, you know, that they really do, they just... They want restoration. He's a protector. He's a provider. He's a physician of the soul. And he takes it very seriously. How arrogant of us to think that we are a better sheep than he is a shepherd. How arrogant to think that somehow, you know, God, I don't know what you're doing up there in shepherd land. But, you know, in sheep land, this is what we're trying to do. How arrogant of us to ever suppose upon the great shepherd, the good shepherd, that somehow he does not take seriously, he does not do perfectly his job of shepherding. We don't want to run past verse 1 because it is full of application. We don't want to look further down the road yet because even though there's interesting things in verse 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, we want to really capture as best as we can. What does it mean that the Lord is my shepherd? I shall not want. Let me ask you a a third question for this one. When was the last time that you remembered that you were free from want? Whether that was for five seconds, five minutes, or five hours. When was the last time that you said, yeah, man, I'm just... And maybe you didn't phrase phrase it that way, but there was just such a peace. Emotionally, mentally, physically maybe, and certainly spiritually. Deep in your soul. In hell, we always talk about the soul. The soul is who we really are. These, are. these are just earthly tents that we carry around. The soul is who we are. And that deep in your soul, you say, you know, I am free from want. Do you remember a time recently that you said, man, I'm just free from want? It's kind of challenging to, to kind of come up with a place in the time, isn't it? Because we don't have... Would you would you agree that we don't have a lot of moments like that? Even though we, we love Jesus and, and we, we, we are trying to follow Him and we really do believe that He's a good shepherd? And, and yet, carrying this off, really letting that kind of come into our lives where we can say, man, I am content. And why is that? It's because contentment is a moving target. What made you content today may not make you content tomorrow. Contentment is always moving. And the minute you get your sights on it going, okay, boom, I, I just got content. For that five seconds, maybe you were content. But by the morning, by even the next minute, certainly the next hour, contentment has moved. And it's ever moving. It's just a moving target. And just because you want to free, be that you were free from want yesterday doesn't guarantee that you're going to be free from want today. Things change. And so what David is saying here, look, in my ever-changing mode of want, i got a shepherd that doesn't change. In my inconsistency, the reason that I can say that I have the hope and the ability to be free from want, I shall not want, isn't because all of a sudden I have mastered wantlessness. Because I have a consistent Savior, I have a consistent God that can meet every need. So how do we do that? Remember those three general uh, uh, responsibilities, if we want to say roles, of a uh, shepherd. That he's to be your protector, that He is your provider, that he is your physician. Does God's ability to do those things and be those things change with the weather? Is God, at any given time in all eternity, is He a less protector than He was a thousand years ago, than He will be today and a thousand years from now? His ability to be provider for you in your life, has that ever changed your entire lifetime? His ability to be the physician of your very soul, has that ever changed your entire lifetime? So the problem isn't on His side. This isn't a shepherd problem. What is it, folks? It's the sheep problem, okay? And that's not to make us feel bad. It's to to, to really kind of clarify because if we ever have hopes of five minutes or five hours or five days or five months of being free from want, we have to realize it's not God falling asleep on the job. It's not on the shepherd side. It is on the sheep side that the exposure is there. And that's what David realized. That when he was up against Goliath, he knew, man, I have a great protector. That when King Saul, before David was the king, when King Saul came after him in that jealous rage and and literally wanted David's life, was actually throwing spears and all kinds of stuff and trying to get him, bringing armies against David and everything, that he knew that God was the provider of his safety. And as we said before, in his sin with Bathsheba, whether it was written before or after, he knew what it was like to have a God that could restore his soul. See, the key to this whole psalm is the realization that God is an all-sufficient shepherd and to recognize our needfulness as sheep. And being like sheep, we need to have a clear picture, a biblical picture of sheep. Please, again, this is not to offend. This is the, to, to paint a biblical picture. Here, here's here's the situation. In our mind, when you think of sheep, a lamb, most time we go to Mary. Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. Can we show that first picture? You know, when we think of lambs, we're thinking, okay, you know, Jesus. Have you ever seen the picture of Jesus holding like this little lamb? And you're going, oh, that's me, and that's Jesus. And, 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 and by God's grace, by God's grace and by his cleanliness and because of the righteousness imputed to us through the finished work of Christ, if you're a Christian, if you are truly a believer, you can't have that. But in reality, guys, the biblical picture of our sheepness is the next picture. And it is not to be funny. I mean, it, I mean, I would laugh too. But, but the intention there is not to be humorous. The intention is to be biblical. Do you know that historically speaking, in the animal kingdom, that uh, because we don't use the word dumb, that the um, sheep are the some of the least intelligent of all of the animal kingdom. Let's let's say the least intelligent. Okay. Uh, they are also very very prone. To um, disease, flies love sheep. They they smell, they get dirty, and they are very rebellious in their nature. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about uh, Philip Keller wrote a, a great book. Uh, he actually spent eight years as a shepherd, and he wrote this theological book on the Psalm 23. And uh, he talks about this beautiful sheep that he has that just is, I mean, like the sheep of all sheep. You know, just beautiful and, and everything. And he said, but that sheep, <laughs> she was a France, uh, fence walker. And the minute we would get into the pasture, she would start walking the fence, looking for an opening, looking for an opening. So the bad thing was not only did she look for an opening, but others began to follow her. And they, if she found that opening and she went out in that rebellious thing and she was able to go outside, there was always two or three or four sheep that would follow behind. And he said, then I would have to round up the sheep said, but she was pretty, prettiest lamb I ever had, prettiest sheep I ever had in my life. And yet within that beauty was this rebellious nature. Folks, this is not to embarrass us. It's not to us make us feel bad. It's to give the reality of the biblical picture that we have our neediness with an all-sufficient Savior. And when we get that right, when we're able to grasp that, we begin, at least in those first steps, to be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. One of the first parts of giving up want is to to realize the all-sufficiency of the Savior. And that's why, instead of thinking, okay, yeah, I'm that pretty little sheep, and I bet Jesus just kind of likes, you know, cuddling up with me, that we really do see that... uh, we're kind of stinky and smelly sometimes, and we're kind of rebellious, and we're fence walkers. I mean, would you admit that there's a side of you that is a fence walker, that the shepherd's right there, and yet you're walking the fence, looking for a break, seeing, and, and that oftentimes, I mean, mom and dad, what what a responsibility. Because you got young sheep. And I guarantee you, if mama sheep goes that way and daddy's sheep goes that way, what is little baby sheep going to do? That's where daddy's going, so I guess I've got to go there. And yet we have this part of us that really is a fence wall. When we understand that, we begin to see this tremendous love of God and the tremendous grace that he offers to us. They would say, I will still be your shepherd, and I'll be a good shepherd. And so throughout the Bible, we get little vignettes of this beautiful relationship in the New Testament that he will leave the ninety-nine that were stayed in the fence to do what? To come after the one that was the fence walker. Isn't it amazing that he walked? You're a fence walker. You had all this security, you had all this offered, and yet somehow you're this wanting, this desire for want is still there, and so you're fence walking. And, and yet you get out, and maybe even you take a, a couple with you, and he leaves the ninety nine. He said, Tracy, you're worth. It. You're a fence walker, but I love you, and I'm not going to stop being shepherd just because you don't want to be an obedient sheep." Praise God! Rejoice in that, guys! Rejoice in that. That's our story. That is not for us to feel bad and low about ourselves, but to lift up the very name of God and to say, God, how gracious you are that why I'm a fence walker and I'm rebellious and there's time that I don't have lily white, you know, wool that I am matted and and, and infants... The infestation of, of things come, and yet you come over there in my need, and in all my ugliness, you take me out of the muck and the mire, and you embrace me and you call me your own. That's the God you can have, and that's the God that David had. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. It's a moving target. He get right at one second, and the next second, oh, there's Bathsheba. Mm. <coughs> Moving target. At least he he realizes where his stability comes from. Brian's teaching in the back today, but uh, one of the books, uh, uh, some of my other discipleship guys, you know, at at some point in time, we will go through this book. Uh, We go through various books in, in men's discipleship. But we will go... Please don't leave planet Earth, Christian to you read this uh, J.M. Packard, just a, a, a regular guy but but and, and this is not you know uh, it's inspired by God but it's, it's not i 'm not trying to say that this is you know the Bible here it's just a book that will change your life because it 's all about god it 's all about the the attributes of God who he is and, and how we come to know him and and I asked uh you know, Brian, today, I said, do you remember what the last chapter was? And I didn't expect him to know because if he would have asked me, I wouldn't have known. Okay? So I'm not saying, man, you know. and he should have known that. Anybody ever read this book? Do you know what the last chapter is? That's okay. That's okay. I wouldn't have known either, John. I wouldn't have known. Last chapter, after he goes through all these different attributes of God, Now you have a memory-like film. Do you, do you know? Okay, okay. Well, spoiler alert, you know, if you, if you don't hear. The last chapter, The Adequacy of God. And when we were meeting the disciples, I said, I said Brian, why do you think that he would, this, this great book of all these different attributes of God, why would he conclude his entire book, this masterpiece of writing, why would he conclude with this final chapter of The Adequacy of God? And we had a great discussion on, man, that's where all these attributes leave you. When you talk about His holiness, when you talk about His grace, when you talk about all these other things of God, you know, His, He's all-powerful, He's all-knowing, He's all, where it leaves you is that He is sufficient. That's where it leaves you. And the more you know this God, the more you're going to know that he's a good shepherd. He takes his job very seriously. That he never lays down on the job to be protector, provider and physician for you. He never, there's never a day where he closes his eyes to one of those responsibilities in your life. In that last chapter, J.M. Packer will close in this. He goes to my favorite chapter in the entire Bible, Romans chapter 8 what many call the Mount Everest of the whole Bible as far as a chapter and he explains that adequacy using the words of the Apostle Paul and so we'll close on this this morning Romans chapter 8 verse 31 and following what then shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, our distress, our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our danger, our sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. And he concludes with these two verses. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height or death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This pinnacle, this Mount Everest of, of the Bible there that Paul's writing. He said, you know, let me just kind of sum it up like this. He's really good at doing his job. And he's all sufficient. And because he is such a good shepherd, we really do have the possibility of having moments, days, weeks, maybe even longer periods of our times where we're going, you yeah, know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want." The Lord is my shepherd. And I am full. The Lord is my shepherd. Is everything perfect? No. I'm walking through valleys of the shadow of the death, but I fear no evil because He is with me. And His rod and His staff, they bring me comfort. This is not utopia. It was never meant to be utopia. There is one thing that will ever uh, change, that will never change between this world and the, the world to come in heaven, and that is this great shepherd that we have and who God is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He never, never, never will change. Our situations will change. Our world will change. Praise God. But He will never change. And so, Christian, brother, sister in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you know God in this personal way, this is our declaration that we can make today The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, you are the source of contentment. And we so foolishly think that if situations just change, if you just took us to another pasture or if you left us in this green pasture for a little bit longer, Father, that somehow we would find contentment. You are the great shepherd. And we're a bunch of kind of smelly, matted up fence walkers and yet you loved us you pursued us you saved us and you brought us back you you threw us over your shoulders and you brought us back to safe pastures you are an amazing God and we stand in all of you we worship you We don't have words to describe who and just how great you are. But, Father, that which we do understand, we just give you praise and honor and glory. And we thank you for being protector, provider, and physician of our very soul this day, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we rejoice in this. And we give you all the glory. And we thank you for Jesus, and it's his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.